This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent HRC IT Modernization Summit. My guests on the panel were Nagesh Rowe, the Director of Business Technology Solutions at the Small Business Administration, Jim Trinka, the Chief Talent Management Officer in the Office of Information and Technology at the Veterans Affairs Department, and Sarah Tews, a Program Analyst in the Diplomatic Innovation Division of the Office of E-Diplomacy at the State Department. First, we hear from Nagesh Rowe of SBA and Jim Trinka of VA. The BITS team focuses on the development security operations place. So really it's agile development software methodology, using software smartly and enterprising our applications and application development across the agency effectively. And, and trying to ensure that all the different programmatic offices are synced up at a foundational layer, at that, that common ba- base layer, and then building out at their applications for their specific needs. Um, so suffice to say, for Jason, for your question, some of the stuff we're working on uh, aggressively over the next year that I'm, I'm started to implement is our CX, what I'm calling CX360. And I know there's been an awful lot of talk about customer experience, customer journey, customer mapping, and customer satisfaction, and more so customer expectation. And uh, for us, you know, I'm really taking that in hard and saying, hey, how do we ensure that when people engage with the agency or our agency partners, that they're getting the right information and getting the right counseling, the right services, and the right engagement. And that ties in with our data. And I know, you know, it was a fashion a few years ago of big data, and I think it's still in vogue, but really what I'm trying to do is just get it done and integrate all that so that we have that common base layer of data and information so that we can make better decisions as an agency and really use IT as a means of augmentation for our our support staff and services. So you know, my, my real plays are just developing technology solutions for the federal, uh, for our agency and for our partners so that it actually lets them do their job effectively and yeah. augments rather than replaces. So I'm going to ask my one follow-up question. I was at the National Contract Management Association conference and Maria Rote actually spoke there, which was great to see someone that doesn't talk contracting too often talk contracting. And she brought up an interesting uh, idea that you guys are moving to login.gov. And part of the reason is because currently SBA has, well, you can log into your 7A loan over here, and if you're in the 8A program over there, and they're all different login systems. Is, that, is this part of kind of... Yes. Yeah. So login.gov, we're calling it SBA Connect, and then the enterprise data play that we're doing to give us better business intelligence across the board for the small businesses that engage with us, the entrepreneurs, our federal partners, that kind of stuff we're calling that SBA Insight. But with SBA Connect, we are using the login.gov template to essentially eradicate the multiple login systems. We want the the customer, the external folks, to go through one portal, and that's it, for all their suites and have that suite of services there. And then for the internal feds, really, what I want to do is just one username, one password, that's it for everything that we access. The silos are killing us, and there's no point in having that. And that goes back to the customer experience piece that you just brought up, the fact that if I'm a, if I'm a small business and I want to use SBA's services, I don't want to have to figure out that I have to go to this part of SBA to get that service. I just want to go to SBA. Is, is, that, is that this login is a small piece to the bigger puzzle? It's a small piece of the bigger puzzle, absolutely, and it goes back to the CX360. If you're, you know, when you're going from napkin to um, IPO, 
And I'm an ex-entrepreneur, venture capitalist kind of guy too. So for the startup and small business, you know, at some point or another, they're impacted directly or indirectly by SBA, whether it's SBA directly or indirectly through our research partners. And so what I'm trying to do is make sure that that, that journey, when you're coming up with that business plan idea, and then maybe a few years later, utilize an SBA counseling support center, and then years later, you go and apply for federal funding and use SBA resources to put that contract application together to answer RFP, whatever it may be, indirectly and directly through that five to seven year journey, you know, making sure that when you do touch and engage with SBA or SBA resource, we can help pick up that point of, uh, of engagement rather than, you know, starting fresh every time. Uh, Jim Trinka from VA. I'm not a technical guy. I'm, a, I'm a, from the people side of the business. And it's interesting, I guess, because my observation of, of my IT workforce in, in, in VA is probably not dissimilar than in other agencies, is that I, IT folks, their default is not people. It's not that they can't do it, but it's not your default. And uh, so we've really had a, a big effort in, in VA, and, and it really helps from our uh, new CIO, who's Jim Jaffer. He's uh, really a people first kind of person. His, his, you know, his priorities, people, process, systems, in that order. And we do follow a people first mission always mantra. For those of you who are in the Army, you, that may sound familiar, but it's backwards in the Army. It's mission first, people always. So we've put that different there. So that, that's a big thing. That's probably some of the basis for our success. We've really been focused on, our, on the people side of the business. Our engagement in the, in the past three years has gone up 15%. We've gone up in our best places to work from you know, near the bottom to number six. Uh, that has increased our customer satisfaction internally uh, over five points on the ACSI scale, which as you know, the ACSI is tough to move. And uh, so th this really has increased what our most important customer uh, and improved the veteran experience. Our veteran experience and trust and everything has gone up more than 20 percentage points in the past three years, and we're real proud of that. And I think it's probably because of our people-first approach. One thing that occurs to me as you talk through this is, and you're the chief talent management officer in the office of OIT. So when you are looking to bring in people or train people, yep. is, it, is it from a, it's not from a technical perspective. You're not training them per se to say, hey, this is agile development, this is DevOps. It's you have to bring that customer centrist, that people first perspective as as part of that training. Now, DevOps and and agile and cloud and pick your buzzword can be the underlying piece. But but how do you talk maybe a little bit about the hiring and the training piece and how you've maybe adjusted or, or helped? Uh... Yeah, sure. So in our recruiting and hiring efforts this past year and a half, we started out doing things wholly differently, and we really focused on on our employer brand which is all about customer collaboration and in improving the veteran experience with VA. And it's interesting because uh, this past year, uh, we hired uh, more new employees than we've ever had, we've ever hired before. We're actually hired above our authorized strength. Uh, you know, Congress called us in uh, for a hearing uh, for hiring issues in, in VA, and we told them, well, we don't have an IT hiring issue in VA. We've actually hired more than our authorized strength. So um, that's really kind of our recruiting and hiring efforts are really focused on new and different things. We're doing resume mining. We do resume mining in USA Jobs, LinkedIn. 
We do a lot of job fairs. Our virtual job fairs have been incredibly successful. That's probably the ones that it really can do very well. We've just started a brand new IT collegiate recruiting initiative, which we're bringing in member uh, universities in our membership that they're going to give us the uh, curriculum degrees and certifications that we require. And then when they sign up to be in our membership, we're going to do job fairs and job recruiting efforts and only our member universities. So that's how we're going to bring in the next generation of IT folks as well. But uh, yeah, we, we bring them in initially on our employer brand. And uh, of course, there's a significant amount of training effort that's going on internally as well. We have to take a break. You just heard from Jim Trinka of VA and before him, Nagash Rowe of SBA. They were on a panel that I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. My guests on the panel were Nagesh Rowe, the Director of Business Technology Solutions at the Small Business Administration. Jim Trinka, the Chief Talent Management Officer in the Office of Information and Technology at the Veterans Affairs Department. And Sarah Chu's a Program Analyst in the Diplomatic Innovation Division at the Office of E-Diplomacy at the Department of State. We start this segment hearing from Sarah Chu's of the State Department. I work specifically in the Office of E-Diplomacy at the Department of State, formed in the era when we slapped an E on the beginning of everything, commerce, government, E-Diplomacy. It was established by then Secretary of State Colin Powell um, in 2002 as the applied technology think tank for the Department of State, basically to explore the convergence of technology with performing the work of diplomacy. So what that looked like back then was in 2002, there was hardly internet on any desktop at, at the State Department. There were just a couple workstations um, in every office that had internet. And um, you know, Secretary Powell, with you know, his military background, for you know, really wanted to see that change. These days, we're looking at leveraging cloud mobile data to perform the work of diplomacy, both in terms of our work here in Washington, how we work with each other, how we're working with the field, almost 300 U.S. missions abroad, how in the field, at these missions, they are communicating and collaborating with the interagency at certain posts, and also how diplomats in the field are communicating with local contacts. So you can imagine it's a, it's a real tangled web of, of considerations and issues in terms of um, access security, um, being nimble and accessible. So this is the kind of the range of issues that my office is looking at. Um, we have two primary divisions. One is the knowledge management division. Um, that's looking, um, you know, how we uh, access, share, store information at the department. And right now it's looking more specifically at how we collaborate and communicate in the cloud. And also the diplomatic innovation division, which is where I am. So we look at emerging technologies. We also look at um, not just emerging technologies, but kind of novel uses of technologies that have been on the market for a number of years. And an example of that would be our, one of our um, premier programs that was um, incubated in, the, in our innovation, which is the um, Virtual Student Federal Service, which began 10 years ago with uh, the idea that you can um, leverage university students, U.S. students around the world, to perform unclassified work for you. It started at the State Department, and we have now more than 55 U.S. agencies involved in that work. And the specific work that I am doing um, focuses on the people side of tech. 
So we, of course, have very much a culture of waterfall at the, the State Department, but we, like many other U.S. agencies, are trying to enculturate um, human-centered design, design thinking, agile, lean methodologies in terms of how we perform our work at the State Department. We're going to get to your questions in a second, so start thinking of them. But uh, Sarah, my logical follow-up, of course, which is when you talk about the, this using technologies in a different way or in a new way, and then you also bring in the human-centered design piece, Walk me through how that kind of all fits together because a lot of times if you think of a technology that's five years old or, or three years old, it may have been developed in a way that was, well, it's not really a human-centered design piece. And then you're adding to it, Does that, if that makes sense, what I'm asking is, is walk me through kind of how you bring those two things together. Like, Sure. I think one of the, um, in terms of how a lot of this fits together, a lot of the issues that we're facing are not just replicating old processes and um, stuffing them into the cloud as they were. Like we are really trying to take advantage of um, digital transformation um, as, as we migrate particular units within Washington and also posts abroad to re-examine. You know, we don't want to just use old tasker systems where you have to go through 70 steps to accomplish a task, but, but to really re-examine that process before it's migrated. And also to, to have certain algorithms in place before we just do a whole lift and dump of data into the cloud as well. So that's a lot of our work is um, as we are migrating units to the cloud, we are performing work with them to kind of re-examine their processes, performing business process improvement before we perform that migration. And, and I think that's the one thing that sometimes gets missed in all this is changing the business process. Um, is a lot of what you guys are doing, and maybe this is a question for the panel to start. I mean, how much is the, the business process re-engineering piece that's got to play the bigger role in, in everything you do beyond the technology, beyond the excitement over cloud, I guess. You hit it right there. It's not just the business process, but it's also the culture. And, you know, I, I love what Jim was talking about earlier about the people, right? So one thing I have to always remind my, my team and, and my colleagues is, is that when you look at entrepreneurs as our customers or small business owners, they go from digital natives all the way up to baby boomers and, and beyond. And that age range is so vast amongst the group that what each group looks at issues and the use of technology and, and whatnot very differently. And so this notion that it's a one-size-fits-all just does not work. And so I have to kind of have the team really, really rethink and get creative and say, how do we create a more a la carte approach to how we deploy our technology solutions? And how do we make the business process and the business engagement with our customers and, and our peers within the government, but also our, our various stakeholders, um, such that it's meaningful, and, and, and people actually get what it is they want from the engagement. Jim, jump in since you're the talent management guy. Yep. Well, you guys have over, I won't say overhired, you hired to your limit. <laughs> and that brings in a bunch of different people because they're not all you know, in their 20s, they're not all in their 50s and 60s, so you probably have a wide range. How do you get the kind of the people side of the, the equation to, to want to go with the technology side? How, how do you merge those two things together? Yeah, I think the biggest way is through our strategy. I mean, uh, the strategy, I think, is the key to holding it all together. And when everyone all the way down to the frontline employee knows the strategy is uh, well, that's what, what really works. And that's what's been able to get us our engagement. So our strategy is always we need to, uh, it's based on two things. We need to collaborate with our customers because too often IT folks are, are like a waiter, waitress in a restaurant who said, give me this, give me that, so, you know, in our business partners, they think they got one of these in their pockets and they think they're an IT expert, so <laughs> they always say, well, and they, and they have the shiny, new shiny 
uh, object that someone, some uh, vendor is going to come and talk to them about that they just got to have. So we've turned ourselves away from the uh, waiter and waitress and really to collaborate with our business partners, but to focus on an outcome, which is uh, really different in government because we're always so focused on measuring activities and not outcomes. And the outcome that we're really focused on is in improving the veteran experience. So when we build business cases for everything that we do in any, every IT system, it has to show the measurable improvement on the uh, veteran experience. And that's what the business cases are built on. So it was interesting. We have our new account management office that does business relationship management with our customers. And there's one of, the, one of our customers came in and was really excited about this big system. And, you know, oh, we got to have this same kind of thing because uh, sold from a vendor. And uh, one question that the account manager said was, well, how much does it improve the veteran experience? And, and, and you know, it's one of those, okay, and it was a realization. And that working, that's how we work with our customers in order to do that. And that's how we, we, we kind of drive that engagement and all of that with our employees. Like, to build off on that, I'll give you classic example, right now we're in the middle of Windows 10 deployment across the agency. And we still have folks who are on, mo most folks have moved over to Windows 10, but moving them off Windows 7 to Windows 10 was, was a, a feat of itself because there were some significant changes in, in the use of Windows 10 platform versus Windows 7. And so you had a lot of people who were so comfortable in their ways that trying to move them forward, that the notion that, hey, we're doing this because end of life is happening for Windows 7. Microsoft is not going to support it from a cybersecurity perspective. This is part of the rationale why we're migrating. It was not taken well, I'll be honest. <laughs> Sarah, did you want to jump in on the business process or the people side of it? How to, or do you want me? Oh, one thing I might add in terms of um, attracting an IT workforce, um, we are trying to develop now an IT workforce at the State Department that isn't so much about being, you know, at posts abroad, the network engineer who kind of sits in the back room and monitors the blinking lights. The movement into the cloud also presents an opportunity, because we're not performing so much of our own network maintenance all around the world, to, to transform our IT workforce that can more advise on the business application of IT. But this is a significant shift, and this is where the human-centered design piece again comes in, because they need to be able to work directly with stakeholders, come out of that back room, stop monitoring the blinking lights, and, and look at these kind of complex and ambiguous problems that diplomats are dealing with in the field in terms of how do you get your data when you're on the road? <laughs> how do you communicate with your, your local counterparts? And these are, these are multifaceted problems, and I think um, a tendency, even when we take that first step of coming out of that back room and stop, stopping monitoring the, the blinking lights, is that there's this idea that we're always sharing best practices, but that just means a kind of cut and paste solution from one thing to the other. Um, so we have to always look at a range of circumstances in terms of the intergenerational challenges and adaptability of our workforce um, to, to deal with these changes. So, so it's, it's pretty complicated. We'll take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the HARC IT Modernization Summit. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent HARC IT Modernization Summit. My guests on the panel were Nagesh Rowe, the Director of Business Technology Solutions at the Small Business Administration, Jim Trinka, the Chief Talent Management Officer in the Office of Information and Technology at the Veterans Affairs Department, and Sarah Chu's, a Program Analyst in the Diplomatic Innovation Division in the Office of E-Diplomacy at the State Department. In this segment of the show, the panelists take questions from the audience. 
Andrew Everston, a IT reporter with Federal Times. Uh, Nagesh, my question's for you. On the Windows 10 deployment, moving from Windows 7, you mentioned you had a lot of challenges with that. Can you talk more about what those challenges were personnel-wise and how you mitigated them? I mean, for us, it was just, it was the change. It was changing my, you had folks who had their files in, in a particular format on the Windows 7 platform or what may have been data they had in Access Database to, you know, their own personal printer set up at their office, that kind of thing. And as we took on the enterprise approach to, you know, one, not only be efficient and reduce costs, but also ensure there was a logical secure flow of information and secure flow of, of keeping everything in an orderly fashion. You know, some of those challenges we faced was just being able to make a compelling case. And, and we did make the compelling case, but it's hard to make a compelling case when it's the status quo for a long time. And, and I'll be honest, I mean, Maria and Guy have done a great job in helping clean up the IT infrastructure at SBA, but they came in inheriting about, you know, 10 years of, of delinquency. I was there prior to them. I was in one of the program offices, so I witnessed it firsthand. When I came down to join Maria and Guy, I had that institutional knowledge of watching what was happening, what was working, the office politics that had happened, and helping navigate those channels for them so that we could mitigate, go back into a collaborative engagement. But it really did require a firm, steady hand from the CIO leadership to say, look, we're doing this collectively, we're doing this as a group. You know, when you, you know that proverb, right? If you want to go far, you go as a group. If you want to go fast, you go alone. We preferred to go far, and that's what we did. But it requires a change of heart and a change of mind. And when you're battling, you know, legacy issues of office politics, fiefdoms, egos, stuff like that, it's not a change that happens overnight, but that's what we had to do step by step, figure out where the commonalities were, compromise, and move forward so that people actually, over time, got to understand and realize what we were doing. And case in point, one of my colleagues from the communications office, you know, we were talking about access to the something really simple. It was the SBA template logo uh, standard that you would use for a PowerPoint presentation. It automatically now preloads when you open up PowerPoint to that standard. And she was like, that's fantastic. It never did that before. And she was like, she's like, we get it now. We get what you were trying to do, but it's those little things. Those little things, they matter. And when you address the little things along with the big stuff, then people start to realize, okay, this is really what they're trying to get at. But they're not gonna, it doesn't just happen overnight. It, it, it requires a consistent, steady, long-term plan to, to make it happen, go forward. Hi, uh, Nicole Johnson with GovLoop. Quick question, I, you know, you hear the word modernization and then hearing transformation. I, you know, from your perspectives, what do you see as a big difference between, or do you see similarities between modernization, transformation, and in particular on transformation, if there's an example of a transformational project you all see, and kind of if you can wait on the impact of that transformation. We've been in a digital a transformation about four years. The last couple of years have been more focused on the digital transformation piece of that. But I think it was really focused on us, those two things that I was talking about. And, and those are quite different for a government agency. To be able to say, we're really going to collaborate with our business partners. That's going to be the focus for our whole organization. That is our employer brand. That is what we're going to do, and it's taught in all of our classes, and we're really focused on that. And then uh, for a government agency to focus on outcomes rather than activity. We can all answer the question, how many phone calls did we answer? How many uh, grants did we, uh, did we give out? How many you know, uh, people did we see? But not very many government agencies can tell what their outcome is for their citizens. 
So it's all for us been focused on the one outcome of improving the veteran experience. And we've got measures on that that, that our veteran experience office uh, has, has, has got for that. It's really gone up in the, in the past four years, about 20 to 30 points on each of our four aspects. Effectiveness, ease, emotion, trust. So, so I'll talk about it from a, I'll use a biological analogy. So if you really want to think about transformation, caterpillar becomes a butterfly, that's transformation. Butterfly augmenting itself in the environment that it's in so that it can be more effective to evade predators, that's modernization. And which one is SBA in, caterpillar or butterfly? But we're, we're morphing into the butterfly. Butterfly, but we are we have been a caterpillar for a while and now we're trying to become that you were in the cocoon for years Yes, with all due respect. I'm not gonna lie. No, man. We're yeah. gonna keep going. I can go all day. Oh, we can do this <laughs> Sarah, um, let me bring you in the conversation a little bit because one of the things that e-diplomacy is trying to do is modernize and transform the diplomatic processes as you mentioned as there are State Department foreign service officers in the field How are they communicating how they're collaborating? How do you kind of see the difference or the the similarities and and What's your path towards both transformation and modernization? That's a loaded question, isn't it? I should give the disclaimer, big fat disclaimer, that I, I come from an academic background. Um, and when I just think about um, kind of operationalizing those two words, I don't think of it necessarily in an IT context. But um, for me, modernization would be more kind of the deployment of the technology and the transformation would be like transformational that, that has to do with the people side of things in terms of like how we're using the technology. Um, and I think one of the things that I would cite as transformational, and going back to your point in terms of like, and I really like that what you said about like, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go, if you want to go far, you go together as a group. And in terms of one of our, what I would cite as transformational for us is going together forward as a group. So when we're trying to really get the most about our investment in new cloud platform, you know, a collaborative technology in the, in the cloud, then we, um, we have to get an entire office or a unit together and talk in person, face to face, decide how we're going to use it, tinker with it together, give ourselves a timeline for revisiting to see, because otherwise it just sits there. Like, it's really difficult for groups to to just, you know, all of the applications may be the same, but navigating that new ecosystem is very, very daunting. Um, so I think, you know, the, the modernization might be, you know, you bring in that platform, but the transformation would be like getting the group together and actually making use of it. And that just tags back to the human-centered design piece. You're bringing in the people who are going to use the system. So it's not just the IT folks are sitting in a room planning and, and expecting it to come out the other side in, a good, in good shape. She's shaking her head. All right. Chris, you have a... Uh, yes. Yeah, so someone says something about everyone wants their app, and it's the greatest app in the system, right? The problem is with SaaS, everything's an app now. And as a CIO, which has traditionally been, hey, we're here to support the business, we're here to support the mission, you have 15 people coming in with different document collaboration apps or different types of you know, workflow software. So do you see any change in CIO policy that would be able to drive more agency-specific decisions? So the mission isn't driving which of these type of systems that are similar, the actual need and the, and the, and the better for the agency long term would? That's a Nagesh question too, probably. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. Short <laughs> answer, yes. We have to integrate. We have to. Well, so here's the thing. It, it, it doesn't come down to just having, you know, 20 different products, right? 
there's multiple variables in play. You've got the cost you've got to deal with. You've got the, monitor, uh, the monitoring that has to happen. You have the, the policies and the legal ramifications we have to uh, deal with. Let's not forget, the IG is always looking for it. Why do you have so many redundant software you know, products and stuff like that? Why can't you keep it simple? You got GAO for always looking, someone's looking to make their name you know, off like, aha, I got you, right? So uh, if anyone here from the GAO, that's the truth, all right? <laughs> I've dealt with you all long enough. I'm just going to be up front. Anyone from GAO here, and if you want to take me outside and lecture me, go for it. I'm just going to go, that's the truth again, all right? You know, this is the way. I am a Mandalorian. And so, <laughs> so to answer your question, yeah, it has to come down to a policy decision. But it's not just the CIO, to be straight up honest with you. It's got to come from the agency leadership, right? The political leadership also has to realize that and go, okay, this is the sandbox. These are the toys in the sandbox. Unless you can give a proper business justification for why you need the extra G.I. Joe in there or, or My Little Pony, learn to play with the toys in the sandbox and learn how to do it. Get creative. That's what my mom and dad did to me. And for VA, it's really nice to have that, that uh, measurement about how much is this increase in the veteran experience. Because every business case has to have that in there. If it's not in there, we won't consider it. So, and, and literally those are ranked order, rank ordered. And for us, you're going to put something new out there, what are you taking off the table? Because yep. got, everyone's got legacy issues. And so if you, you, you're putting in something new, what are you taking away? Um, I think at the State Department, one determining factor is like what platform are you going to use to get a piece of paper at, up to the secretary's office? Um, and it all kind of like it, it falls in line behind that. So that's one thing that kind of goes beyond the CIO. Um, in terms of the CIO, I think, you know, one big challenge at, at the Department of State, for example, is consolidation of IT. And I think the 15 apps, different apps that people come in with, they're going to continue with those 15 apps and find additional workarounds unless in your process of consolidating IT, you can remain super res responsive to the customer. And I think that's how, you know, and then it takes, it, it's a little bit of like intergenerational work. Like you have to let time pass and like always be committed to the responsiveness of your, of your IT shop in order for the consolidation to work and people don't just continue with those workarounds. We'll take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the ATARC IT Modernization Summit. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. My guests on the panel were Nagesh Rowe, the Director of Business Technology Solutions at the Small Business Administration, Jim Trinka, the Chief Talent Management Officer in the Office of Information and Technology at the Veterans Affairs Department, and Sarah Chu's, a Program Analyst in the Diplomatic Innovation Division in the Office of E-Diplomacy at the State Department. In this segment of the show, the panelists continue to take questions from the audience. One of the points of our discussion today here in the panel is around emerging technologies and how the impact of emerging technologies is having on IT modernization. And I'm going to go back to something that I mentioned in the beginning of, of, of the panel, which is that these technologies like RPA, robotics process automation, these technologies like AI and machine learning and, and other things that are, that are coming, how are you guys preparing to bring them in and both from a technical side, but also from a people side? Because uh, as, as Jim, you know well, I mean, 
The concern, I think, has really been mitigated, but there's still, I'm sure you hear once in a while, the robots are going to take my job. But we, we know yeah. that's fake. We know that's not true. But still, you probably hear the joke enough that it gets yeah. a little annoying. So RPA slash other agents, you know, how do you prepare for those two things? I'll just open up to the panel. We've had, uh, you know, one of our biggest systems is uh, supporting our Veterans Health Administration. It's uh, been running on uh, COBOL language for 30 or 40 years or whatever. So we've got 400 or so software developers, software programmers in their basement in their pajamas that do this work. And they're all 80 years old. Yeah, and so obviously it's uh, we're, we're going to go into a buy-first strategy. We've been into a buy-first strategy and no, no longer building our own software for some time. So we had to do a lot of, uh, you know, talking with that group and, okay, let's do it. We did a lot of studies and said, okay, what are the new jobs we're going to have? How we're going to reskill and or upskill these folks uh, to come in? Turns out that probably half of them are saying no, thank you, because I guess they like to be in their basement in their pajamas. But we're doing that same kind of thing with our end user operations. It's going to be a lot of different things that that are not going to be required. We did a big study for three thousand of those folks that we have in the field, and how we're going to upskill and reskill. That's it's a, it's a big. Uh, a big operation that we're, that we're undergoing. And before the other panelists jump in, got my uh, reporter at 10i uh, uh, tingling the 3,000 survey. What were, if you can provide a high level kind of some of the things that came from that survey, like majority are happy to be reskilled, majority want to watch their blinking lights. What, what were some of the things? Those, uh, the, the 3,000 out in the field, I think, is, is interesting because uh, we're going to need a heck of a lot more doing a software as a service, managed services, all those kind of things. I mean, a lot more folks moving into the contract field and or managing contractors. And so that has been uh, met with a little bit more resistance than we probably thought. But uh, we're still being able to up upskill and reskill in other areas as well that, uh, that I think is going to work out. Excellent. Yeah. Sarah? I, I couldn't speak to this specifically. I think that just reskilling in general is such a big issue, and I don't see that like AI and automation really disrupt as much um, as, as people tend to think. It's just a normal computational process like everything else. Um, but reskilling, of course, is always a challenge. Um, I think in general, in terms of at, at the department, there's, there's just a lot of excitement around how we can automate a lot of processes. So I, I think that's, that's kind of more on people's minds now in terms of like our general challenge of reskilling. Do you, from an e-diplomacy standpoint, as you work with people in the field, their jobs are changing too. I mean, it's still very important to make the connection, the human connection, but are there things that they were having to do that was paper intensive or just very transactional that they can stop doing? I mean, have you had that experience yet? I'm sorry, particular to? People in the field, the, the, the folks you work with every day, day in uh. and day out, are, they, are you able to get them out of the transactional work that we all, maybe many of us have in, in each of our jobs? Sure, I think one big, um example would be when a diplomat goes from one post to another. Like any agent in the field, it's that if you're using some kind of CRM, for example, the transportability of your contacts is just there. You know, it used to be, how do you lug around your big fat Rolodex? What do you, what, what can you leave behind? What can you take with you? Or, you know, if your email is in the cloud, then like, there it is. You don't have to <laughs> change all the time. And so I think the mobility among posts, you know, people are serving just two years in the field and then they move on and then they move on and then they move on. So the mobility piece is really huge. Akesh? Let's start off with this. So you've got emerging tech and you've got bleeding edge, right? So those are the two delineations I have, to, I, the delineation I have to make right there. 
Uh, and you know me from my prior life when I used to work on the SBIR, like the really cutting edge stuff. And, and the thing is, when it comes to emerging or bleeding edge and, and breaking that down, it comes with this, this cost. And this cost is like ensuring adoption happens or it doesn't happen because if it doesn't work or it doesn't work in that environment, no one, it, you know, it's considered a failure, right? Even though maybe it needs more tweaking and stuff of that nature. And so, you know, I think going to Jim's point a little bit, it, it, you have to do a lot of testing. You have to a lot of do a pilot user plays. And then you have to, with the adoption, this goes back to the conversation we've been having earlier about the culture change and the business processes change. Because as this technology comes in and augments, expectations are going to change too. And so when those expectations happen on the, uh, on the person who's using the technology, you know, if it is increasing efficiency and, and helping process you know, more paperwork faster and stuff of that nature, you know, all of a sudden people are asking, okay, well, then what else do I do? And that goes, it does then bleed into that conversation about upskilling, reskilling. Um, and, and let's be honest for a second, as technology becomes more and more pervasive in the way we do our day-to-day -day living and the way it impacts and augments our work, the future of work as we've been talking about, right? That plays a heck of a lot into identity politics. And that's just something we have to deal with. One more thing to add about emerging technologies, Jason. It's all the shiny new objects, and that's a focus, and everybody wants that, and it costs money, obviously. And, and so we've actually looked at this from an, another angle to say, what is all this new stuff costing on our, on our infrastructure? Yep. And we call it technical debt. So we had this big technical debt um, study. And it turns out we have $1 billion in what we call technical debt. You know, we're not able to upgrade desktops, laptops, servers, uh, you know, get new mouses and, or mice or whatever they're called. Yeah, and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And we have a $4 billion budget. When you got $1 billion that we can't, you know, people are saying, wow, well, my laptop's old. You know, but you got your shiny new rock, you know, and, and so uh, that's, that's, a, that's the biggest the downside of this, all this focus on emerging technology is this, uh, what we call technical debt. David Jacobson, US, oh, US EPA. So with regards to kind of earlier statements that what we do not have is technology problems, we have cultural problems, where you sort of have legacy organizations. Sort of who should be driving change at the sort of organizational level, like top, bottom, or how do you even go about doing it? So I'd argue it's got to be both uh, grassroots and from the top. Um, and it's got to be led by not just the CIO, but it's political leadership. But I also think, so the way I've always argued it at our agency when we make these kind of decisions, I've always said the gears, the gears that actually make the agency work, right? And keep the agency running. So when the shutdown happened last year, I noticed what were the gears at our agency that kept on running to keep the lights on. And that was our coup, which was our chief of operations team, our Chico, our chief human resources team, our CIO for the information, and then our um, CFO, financial, right? I was like, those are the four pillars where those, those offices, that they, they, you know, finance figures out, do you have enough money? The operations figure out, do you have the space to handle this, this workforce augmentation you're about to do if you're doing a support contract and having a number of contractors for a period of time to do you know, X project. Um, human resources is going to say, okay, if you're going to do this, is this skills that the federal workforce can do or do you have to go and outsource it to some contractors to do it because it's a one-off? And then CIO, of course, is saying, okay, are you using technology to solve that problem? 
So that, those four gears right off the bat have to, have to be in unison. And then on top of that, it has to be grassroots where the people are saying, yes, I, I, I'm buying into this new vision and new culture. And it's got to come from top down saying, yes, this is the vision we're going to do. And it's a five, seven year plan, not a one, two year, I'm going to make my resume off this kind of plan. When we started our transformation about four years ago, it was definitely a top-down from uh, Laverne Council. She didn't have a lot of time. Came up with a fabulous strategy that I've never that we've kept because it's so good. But uh, we've really had to shore that up because uh, and make sure that everyone understands that. So that's what we've been doing in all of our leadership development efforts and all of our communications. Everything, everything I said always orients on strategy, so that uh, the frontline employee can connect their daily work to the strategy of the organization every time they go to work. Gary Williams, Booz Allen, SBA guy. <laughs> how do you handle these major modernization initiatives that span administrations? How do you keep the, the momentum going? To be honest with you, I think that is in part from not only having empowerment of the civil, the career civil servants, but in my honest opinion, I think those key the positions like the coup, the CIO, the CFO, the Chico, they need to be filled, in my, my two cents, they need to be filled by career SES, not political SES. Because career SESs are thinking long term. And it's not a knock on political SES, but you know, political SESs are usually two to three years. That's, that's kind of just, that's the nature of how the system works. And so if the nature of that system is gonna be quick fast, uh, turnaround for a political SES, it's got to be a career SES who's saying, look, I'm going to hold onto this vision and make sure it tr transforms forward and that the team there really understands, you know, what the long drive is. But this comes into a part of which when you do have an administration changeover and stuff like that, making a compelling case and explaining why this long-term play is happening and it's not a quick sh short term. I think that, that that's my two cents. And I think Maria did a great job of that when she you know, went from one administration to the other and explained that long-term vision and people said, yes, okay, I get it. Take the politics out of it and focus on the mission. And, and, and especially when you don't have it embroiled in any like partisan nonsense, I think nine out of 10 times people will say, it just fundamentally makes sense, go for it. That's all the time we have. Today I played excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. My guests on the panel were, Nagesh Rowe, the Director of Business Technology Solutions at the Small Business Administration. Jim Trinka, the Chief Talent Management Officer in the Office of Information and Technology at the Veterans Affairs Department. And Sarah Chus, a Program Analyst in the Diplomatic Innovation Division in the Office of E-Diplomacy in the Department of State. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.